Hello and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. And this week, well, it's all about the budget. I'm just hoping you aren't sick of it yet because we aren't sick of it yet ourselves. Malcolm Farr, the national political editor at news.com.au, takes me through the election budget and all the politics of it. David Plank, head of Australian economics at ANZ Research, tells me if the coalition can afford the tax cuts and also what the effect is on the markets. The answer is not very much. Chris Richardson, the partner at Deloitte Access Economics, crunches the numbers for us and explains where all the money's come from. And Jennifer Westacott, Chief Executive of the Business Council of Australia, tells me what business thinks of it. Members on my right will cease interjecting. The Leader of the House will cease interjecting. I'm joined now by Malcolm Farr, the National Political Editor for news.com.au. Malcolm, uh, obviously all budgets are political documents rather than financial ones. Um, this one perhaps more than most since it's uh, the last one before an election. Um, do you think it'll turn around the government's fortunes? I don't know if it'll turn them around, certainly not in the uh, immediate future, but I think there's a very interesting tone of optimism in this budget. Uh, not so much happy days are here again, but you know, life's looking better for us. For the first time in roughly 10 years since the GFC, there's, a, there, there, there's a, an indication that uh, uh, the economy is gathering pace and that this will have a dividend for ordinary Australians in terms of uh, uh, job security, uh, uh, extra jobs available, maybe even wages going up, uh, and also um, tax cuts, uh, which won't increase government debt. Now, uh, optimism can be contagious if it's uh, properly retailed politically. And we know that incumbent governments are often returned if voters think the country is heading in the right direction. So, there are two factors here, political factors. One is this would tend to indicate the Prime Minister should be believed when he says the election is going to be held uh, in the first half of next year because he needs time for that optimism to accumulate. Secondly, it will be a major test of uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Treasurer Scott Morrison as to how they can sell this uh, this budget tone, uh, how they can uh, convince voters that uh, uh, better times are ahead and that economic growth uh, has been established and, and is gaining pace. So you, your long experience tells you, does it, that, that governments do tend to get the credit for when things are going well? Yes, they do. And, and, and of course, they're shameless in doing so, even when it's got nothing to do with them. As, uh, as, as the budget papers pointed out, as, as we, uh, we struggle forward uh, and want congratulations for growth, GDP growth heading towards 3% or, or, or slightly above, um, China's still doing 6.5%, India's doing really well. Uh, our major trading partners, their growth is, is over 4%. So we're benefiting from that. We're benefiting from investment from overseas. Uh, and there are still people uh, prepared to pay to fill their ships with our rocks, our iron ore, etc. But indeed, governments take credit for this. Uh, and uh, they will um, try and uh, express 
that credit uh, through uh, tax cuts, both for income tax cuts and uh, and for uh, businesses. So, what do you think the Labor Party will have to do to claw it back? Is the, what's your what, what do you think that uh, they'll be doing over the next twelve months? That it will be a, a campaign firmly based on a notion of inequality being uh, imposed by the government's uh, uh, economic uh, policy, uh, which is a direct contrast to what the the Prime Minister and the Treasurer are saying, of course. But Labor will say that there are still a number of people who are not being treated fairly in this economy, uh, who are not getting the wages and the jobs they deserve, and they will keep pointing to, uh, and the phrase will recur again and again, to the benefits heading towards the big end of town, particularly in those business cuts. So I think we can expect uh, equality to be a a constant term uh, in Bill Shorten's uh, lexicon over the coming uh, uh, nine to 12 months. And amazingly, just finally, Malcolm, um, amazingly, we've got a mini election coming up with five by-elections all at once, um, which uh, yeah. which will give us a sense of how they're going. And and um, I guess one of the interesting things about it is that Bill Shorten, Shorten ends up looking like a bit of an idiot because he said it wouldn't happen. He he, uh, he does look like a bit of an idiot, and and just today on on Sky, Barnaby Joyce. Uh, personally called me dopey for suggesting Labor had this issue covered, but clearly they didn't. And just imagine what ordinary voters are thinking about these klutzes who have now uh, been proved to be unable to sort out what nationality they were or nationalities they had, and is now subjecting voters to yet another ballot and an expensive one. Uh, it, it, look, it, it is disruptive. Whether it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, four or, or five, if you include um, uh, Perth, mini referenda on the tax policy, I'm not too sure. Uh, uh, there, there are a lot of factors at play here, but certainly voters are not going to be particularly happy that they have to go back to the ballot box uh, because uh, their previous members uh, hadn't done the right thing. Who do they, who they take it out on? Well, it might be they take it out on Labor, but uh, usually in the in by-elections they take it out on the incumbent government. Will, will you be taking it as a preview of the next election? No, no, <laughs> not at all. I think <laughs> yeah, there's still too much time between now and then. I'm joined now by David Plank, who is the head of Australian economics at ANZ Research. David, one of the points uh, you guys made in uh, your post-budget commentary was that the the um, infrastructure spending actually is is hardly any different from the previous year. Could you take us through that? Well, so well, in fact, it's it, it is the same. There's no new money. So uh, what the government has done in last year's budget, they um, which was a pretty big infrastructure spending, to be fair. So there was a lot of money um, allocated last year, and a lot of that money was uh, set aside, but wasn't specifically um, uh, tied to any uh, project. So, if, if you like, it was there but unallocated. So, what this budget has done, it, it has been to allocate uh, you know, that money and, and tie it to specific projects. So, um, no new money, but now we have clarity about where uh, it's going to go and, and how it's been spread around the country. Right. Oh, well, so they're making a big deal of it, though, I suppose. 
that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, budgets are always about trying to work out when you're looking at the numbers, working out what was new and what's sort of been repackaged or reannounced. And there's always a lot of that, and both at both the Commonwealth level and at the state level, um, which is fair enough because uh, you know it is in a sense. Um, uh, money that hasn't yet been spent that is being spent just because it was announced three years ago or whatever doesn't mean that it's um, uh, not being uh, not having an impact. So uh, you know the government is spending a lot on infrastructure. So uh, fair enough that they pull it all together. But in terms of, th- of working out what is new and what's not, you've always got to be careful about uh, avoiding double counting. So, so what's your overall view of the budget? So I think, you know, the, the government obviously wanted to make sure that it uh, wasn't criticised for um, spending all of the revenue gains. And so, um, you know, it was treading the line between uh, some new initiatives, obviously very much focused on the tax side of things, while at the same time making sure that it banked some of the increase in revenue which was coming through. So, you know, that's a, that's a trade-off. And what that means... Inevitably, if you're going to bank some of the revenue gains, then that's going to have an impact uh, on, on your ability for tax cuts or spending. And I think, you know, you, on the one hand, you can't be too critical of the government for not necessarily delivering lots of extra spending or making the tax cuts bigger. But then on the other hand, um, have it, being able to criticise them for not banking more of the gains. So I think, you know, that's always a, a trade-off. And, um, you know, I think... Yeah, they've trodden a, a fairly careful path between the two. The one thing I would say, though, is that on the tax cuts, they have made it very complicated. Uh, you know, the tax cuts for next year are not being delivered up front. They're actually being delivered after the event. So the cash flow impact of the tax cuts will largely occur in the following financial year. So in terms of relieving budget pressure on people, uh, I'm not sure whether they really deliver. So I think, you know, the, the tax cuts... Uh, have been uh, made complicated, I think, obviously, in part to try and avoid the criticism that uh, they're not being delivered, you know, they're not entirely focused on low- to middle-income earners. The trouble is is that with tax cuts, it's hard to uh, exclude the people who actually pay the bulk of the tax from tax cuts. That's kind of the reality, I suppose. But, uh, you know, the government, for political reasons, has, has made it a very complicated way of delivering the tax cut. You said um, that uh, in, in your note after the budget, the Treasury underestimated the strength of the economy and uh, the uh, receipts have been revised up by at least $6.3 billion per annum. Um, have you worked out uh, how much of that, as you put it, has been banked and how much has been spent? Uh, not, off the, not off the top of my head, but the tax cuts over the four years are worth about Thirteen billion, so maybe about half, roughly. Um, but you know, you're better off asking the treasury than than me in terms of the precise numbers. But um, uh, but you know, the, the the combination of you know the clear the net debt numbers or the gross debt numbers are are quite a bit lower, and that reflects the fact that um, a chunk of the revenue is flowing through to the bottom line. Um, um, you know, as always, those numbers are vulnerable to. Um, reality turning out different from forecast. Um, in the last year, that's gone the government's favour, and that may continue to do that for a while. Um, that's not a criticism; uh, that's just the nature of forecasting. Do you, do you think it's there's fi- finally? Do you think there's any uh, relevance 
uh, of all this to the markets? Uh, So budgets haven't had a huge impact on market pricing or sentiment for quite some time. Uh, You know, I think when we look at does the budget change relative to what we had, you know, a few months ago before, you know, people started to factor in how the budget might vary from their forecast. Did, did, uh, was there, is there anything in the budget overall that changes our view? Um, and the answer is not really. What we would say though is that the combination of the tax cuts and the cancellation of the increase in the Medicare levy does add up to a reasonable amount from 1920. And it's certainly larger, quite a bit larger actually, than the impact of the shift from interest-only loans to principal and interest loans. So there's been a lot of focus about the dampening effect of consumption uh, as we get see mortgages, particularly investor mortgages, rolling over from uh, interest-only to principal and interest-only. Uh, sorry, to principal so, and interest. So, so this, this might offset that to some extent. More than offset. It's a, it's, a, it's a much larger. So you know, if, if people were writing lots of negative stuff about the outlook for consumption based off this shift, then for them not to say, well, actually, what the government's done more than offsets that is um, sort of intellectually dishonest. So you need to so you need to recognise that relative to where we were a few months ago, the fiscal position is more stimulatory than what we might have expected because of the combination of the tax cuts and the cancellation of the... Uh, Increase in the Medicare levy is it enough? And I think that's important, and that that matters when we come down and redo our forecasts uh, after the next GDP release. Um, you know, we'll take into account. You know, our numbers already took into account to some extent uh, the impact of the shift in uh, from interest only to interest in principal because we knew that was going to happen. Uh, it's probably going to be larger than we thought because fewer people will roll over from interest only into, into further interest only. But on the other side, uh, fiscal policy is net more stimulatory than we thought it w- w- was going to be. So that will um, help and actually more than offset the impact of uh, the shift in the mortgages. I'm joined now by Chris Richardson from Deloitte Access Economics. Chris, what do you think of the uh, plan to abolish the 37% tax threshold? Um, obviously, it's a fair way off, but they've clearly put that stake in the ground. Um, I can't remember that being recommended by any of the very many tax inquiries and reviews over the years. What do you think of it? Uh, look, I, I think broadly there is a, uh, a case for it. Um, the Henry Review was essentially looking to do some things not that different to to where the government is headed uh, with getting rid of that particular threshold. Um, having said that, you know this is uh, clearly the politics of the moment driving this. You know, for the first time in a long time, you've got a government with money. It's behind in the polls. It's a year out from the election, uh, and so it's it's making relatively big promises. They do start small, but by the time they're getting rid of that 37 uh, cent rate, uh, they're getting big. Yeah, so um, 
I mean, look, obviously you're right. I mean, it's all about tax cuts and so on, and that's uh, what they're doing. Um, uh, I suppose the um, the bottom line is that when the money's flowing in, in as it is now, then budgeting is easy. Um, is that your impression of what's going on? Um, it is, and uh, budgeting is easy at moments like this, which also means that budgeting is dangerous at moments like this. Um, historically, the budget mistakes that have then uh, proved problematic and, and hard for us to shift one way or another, um, they get made uh, at moments when there are sudden surges of revenue. And it really was a sudden surge of revenue. You know, basically, October, November, December, uh, the the federal budget suddenly went on steroids and the tax system went from uh, £100 weakling to uh, uh, the Incredible Hulk, giving the government room to manoeuvre. Um, you know, whether you think of Paul Keating and the LAW law tax cuts, uh, Peter Costello and a whole bunch of tax cuts, uh, family benefits, baby bonuses, uh, Wayne Swan and the, the four years of surpluses that he said he was announcing. Um, in each case, uh, news on the budget that, that was temporarily good got baked into permanent promises that then became problematic. What would, what was behind that sudden increase in revenue that you talk about? Um, uh, because it doesn't seem to have shown up in you know sudden increases in company revenues and so on, and and uh, or a sudden increase in in wages, which has not happened at all. Mm, look, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, so here we are, slightly less than six months since Treasury last updated its numbers, and you wouldn't say the economy is markedly different today to where it was. Six months ago, it's not that, as you note, wages have left or, or, or anything else. You could say uh, that uh, jobs remain, the, the news on jobs remains pretty good uh, and the news on profits remains pretty good. The key difference, uh, though, uh, is that a bunch of businesses and super funds have increasingly run out of the tax losses that they um, stockpiled in, in earlier years. Um, you know, when business makes a profit, gives the tax man a check. When it makes a loss, the tax man doesn't send um, a check back to the business. If that's the way it did work, then the budget deficits during the global financial crisis would have been ginormous. Um, they weren't, but it, you, you kind of had this um, shadow, rain shadow effect thereafter, um, meaning that uh, a given economy wasn't generating heaps of revenue because a bunch of businesses were still running down those losses. Given that um, China picked up in many ways, um, starting from early 2016, the profits in Australia uh, eventually followed. Turns out we've been whittling our way through that stock of tax losses faster than Treasury realised. And and it was almost as though a, a switch got thrown in October. Um, as you say, it wasn't, you know, it's not really a terribly different economy. It's just that businesses have run out of their tax losses faster than expected, and the given economy is generating more revenue than it was. That's very interesting, Chris. I hadn't really focused on that. Is that something Treasury sort of picked up? Uh, yeah, and, and look, you know, these things are hard to monitor. It's not as though you can um, log on to the Bureau of Statistics and, and look at a stock of tax losses. Uh, that information is buried away in, in a bunch of um, company accounts. The difficulty is um, the way Treasury does its numbers, you know, the, the better economic news and in particular the better budgetary news that we just uh, talked about, 
um, has been baked into the official figures, not just for this year and next, but forever after. In fact, the last um, year that we got the full detail on, um, 2021, um, uh, 21, 22, I should say, in, in the budget, uh, Treasury's estimate of the windfall uh, from those factors uh, was still rising relatively sharply at that stage. Or in other words, Treasury says that the better budget news of the moment is permanent. That's why you have a government um, seemingly pulling off the impossible all of a sudden, doing away with previous tax cuts like that, uh, tax increases like that Medicare levy increase, uh, announcing tax cuts uh, that build over time, uh, getting a faster return to surplus. Um, it all sounds very good, but it is dependent on Treasury being right that the better news of the last handful of months is permanent, and history would say you should be pretty cautious about that. But the forward estimates and the long-term projections never include the business cycle, do they? Um, they don't. And, and to be fair to Treasury, I, you know, in a sense I'm criticising the fact that they tend to bake in any last-minute um, surges in either direction, good or bad news. Um, Treasury does it the way they do it um, to avoid the criticism of being seen to you know, jump to the bidding of the, the government of the day. But it does mean that the official advice, um, which could be summarised as, uh, you know, it's hunky-dory forever, um, I, I think people should take that with a grain of salt. Uh, there is a chance that in a couple of years we would be talking over this uh, again. And as is not unusual, the, the temporary re revenue surges uh, will have fallen back down again. Here's Jennifer Westercott, the CEO of the Business Council of Australia, to talk about the budget as it applies to big business. Jennifer, do you think there's much in the budget for big business? I think the, the budget's pretty good, very good, actually. Um, one, because it focuses on growth, uh, and it's made growth a centrepiece through, obviously, better business conditions, through infrastructure spending. Crucially, though, it, it shows that that growth allows us to do things like income tax relief, uh, aged care assistance, uh, stuff for older people to stay in the workforce, um, increased spending for health and education. I think the crucial thing for business, Alan, in this budget is the absolute stark proof that when business conditions are better, when businesses are profitable, when they thrive, the country can thrive and can succeed and we can put things back. And that's the story for business in the budget, that business has done the heavy lifting here you know, the $100 billion of forecast tax revenue, $15 billion more than people thought, uh, that is going to give the government of the day greater choices about what it can put back into the community. So this uh, futile division between uh, the, the kind of anti-business lobby uh, and real society, this budget should put an end to that because it shows that, that when business is successful, people benefit from it. In fact, I calculate that the growth in tax revenue from company tax is uh, about the same as it was in the mid-2000s when um, uh, money was pouring in for John Howard and Peter Costello. Um, and this time around, it's it's much more uh, broadly spread. I mean, then it was really just the mining boom, but now it's it's much wider. It, obviously, miners Absolutely. are doing okay, but it's, it's a very broad-based growth in um, company tax. Absolutely. And I think the crucial thing is now to, to lock in that 
that growth by by completing the company tax cuts, which of course people keep forgetting are ten years out for the large corporations. But it does send a really important signal. It does put us uh, back on a competitive path because now we have to change the thing that is not working in the economy, which is productivity. And as you know better than anyone, productivity is is driven by uh, investment. Uh, and its investment is, is very much affected by tax. So we now need to sort of make sure that we lock uh, that success in. But I think there's just absolute living proof in that budget that when you do get successful business conditions, you can actually put back into the community. But those company tax cuts aren't going to happen, are they? I mean, let's let's be let's be realistic. Um, they're not well, let's see. I mean, no one's got the first. They're just not going to happen. Well, people said that the first time, Alan. People said they wouldn't get more than ten million. They got fifty. Um, people said they wouldn't get anywhere near where they've got now. Let's see. I'm not giving up on it because because I, it's the right thing to do for the country. Uh, and I think people who who oppose this have to explain the alternative. How are we going to grow the economy, drive investment, improve our competitiveness if we don't do this? And I, I'm yet to see an alternate plan on the table. Happy to see one, haven't seen one. And, uh, you know, people keep writing off uh, these things, you know, this won't happen. Well, let's see. Um, just be- before we leave that topic, I mean, the, it needs to be pointed out perhaps that everything's going great now without the tax cuts. Business are doing fine, as you point out. Well, but great. they're still very why, why reliant. Why do we need tax cuts? Well, you're still very reliant on terms of trade. If you really look at those numbers, uh, you know, we're still reliant on terms of trade. But the thing that's really changed, of course, is that in the last 12 months, other countries have lowered their rate. In the case of the US, very substantially. The French are now talking about lowering theirs. And so the challenge for us, if we really want to lock in that revenue from companies, if we really want to lock in that growth, if we want to get that GDP number from 2.4 to 3.5, where it has been and we've enjoyed tremendous prosperity from it, then we better make our business conditions more competitive. We better make it easier for companies who are now you know, very globally exposed, not just big companies, but small companies, make it easier for them to compete. And at the moment, they've got a ball and chain in one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. Just on infrastructure spending, which you mentioned before, um, I saw a chart this morning um, that showed that on a per capita basis, it's really, the spending is really just keeping up with uh, population growth. And so it's kind of a population growth story as well, yeah. primarily. Yeah. And do you think that also that the, the strength of business revenues at the moment is also to some extent, a population growth story? Possibly. We haven't done that analysis, but we're certainly looking into that. It may well be. Uh, and, and that's why we've got to be very cautious about the immigration debate, um, that, that you know we've got to make sure that we don't confuse poor planning with um, you know some desire to do a radical change in the migration target and, and start having a proper conversation about how we plan for that population growth properly and how we spend infrastructure money in those places where it's needed most to deal with congestion, uh, to deal with productivity. Uh, but, the, you know, the infrastructure story is good in this budget, um, but uh, as you know, we've been calling for a long time for a much more uncontested list of projects produced by Infrastructure Australia that are a guide to both governments and the private sector about where we need infrastructure spending to lift competitiveness and productivity and to not have state governments chopping and changing as they do, uh, which, of course, you know, presents tremendous sovereign risk to companies and obviously costs. So, you know, I'd like to see us get uh, infrastructure really back on track. I think this budget's a pretty good start, uh, but there's a lot more to do on infrastructure. Just finally, um, 
uh, looking at the R&D tax incentive package, they, they talk about how they're going to target it more effectively. But actually, when you look at the numbers, they're just reducing it by three or, three or 400 million per year. Um, so what's your view about that? Yeah, we're going to sit down with our companies on the R&D tax incentive. Um, you know, I think the principle of trying to make sure there's more in, more intensive focus, more intensity focus, is theoretically okay. It's kind of how it works in practice. I mean, we've lifted the cap. That will benefit some. So we're certainly going to sit down with companies and say, how is this actually going to work? Because you, you don't want to deter the, the big companies from doing R&D. You don't want too narrow a definition. You don't want to stop companies from innovating. And, and, and certainly we want to have a really good look at the detail, talk to the government, but, but in particular talk to our companies and play out, well, how is this actually going to work for you? Happy birthday to Paul David Hewson, otherwise known as Bono. You knew that, didn't you? From U2. He turns 58 today, and to celebrate, here is Beautiful Day, which it is. It's a beautiful day. That's it for Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. Have a great week.